Two weeks ago, we started a sermon series called Jonah, the Runaway Prophet. And uh, so over the past two Sundays, we have focused in on the first chapter in the book of Jonah. Um, and, uh, and, and we saw that, that God calls the prophet Jonah to go to Nineveh, to the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And he calls him to go and to preach about their wickedness, um, giving them the opportunity by preaching to them for the opportunity to repent. Um, but Jonah doesn't want to do this. And so he runs away. He boards a ship going in the exact opposite direction. And so he runs away from God's call on his life. He is the runaway prophet um, as, as he runs from God's call. But we saw last week that God sends a storm as Jonah is on this boat running away. And this storm comes up and it actually threatens to sink the ship that Jonah is on. And, and last week we saw that God uses this storm to confront Jonah with his running away. That he uses it to confront him about the, the sin in his own heart. It, it, it reveals his heart. And so um, Jonah actually begins to turn around as, as he is confronted by the sailors. And he actually acknowledges that this storm is because of him. He acknowledges that he has been running away from God. He acknowledges his sin. And he actually tells the sailors to throw him into the sea, accepting the consequences of his running away, saying that, that if he throws him into the sea, then, then the storm will calm. And so Jonah, as we saw last week, that he basically throws himself upon the mercy of God as he gets thrown out into the water, trusting that, that he doesn't know what's going to happen. He knows that he deserves judgment because of his running. But we saw at the very end of chapter one that God is merciful to Jonah, that God shows him mercy. He provides this great fish to swallow Jonah, saving him from drowning, saving him from death. But then God makes him wait. He makes him wait in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. And so Jonah has plenty of time to think about everything that has just happened as he just doesn't have much to do but to sit there in the middle of this this fish and so today we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 2 where we see what happens as Jonah is in the belly of this great fish as he prays to the Lord um, from inside of the fish and so my sermon title today is prayer from the depths we're going to look at this prayer that Jonah prays from the depths of the sea, from the depths of, of uh, this, this whale, this great fish, and what it can teach us also about how we might pray when we are in the depths, in, in, in the midst of a difficult situation in our lives as well. So our text today is, is Jonah chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10, the whole chapter, and uh, it's on page 654 in the Pew Bible if you'd like to, to follow along with us. So uh, Jonah chapter two, beginning with verse one. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from the depths of the grave. I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. 
The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this prayer that Jonah prayed from the depths, from from inside this great fish, we pray that you would uh, teach us, Lord, through your word, teach us uh, what you're wanting to, to, to reveal in this prayer on how you're, what you're teaching us about, about prayer, Lord, in, in the midst of the depths of, of things that we're going through as well. And so, so open our, our, our hearts and our minds um, and our ears to hear you now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to look at three things that we see in Jonah's prayer um, and what this prayer that Jonah prays teaches us about prayer from the depths, prayer when we're also in, in a difficult situation, when we're in need or feeling overwhelmed. And the first thing that we see about prayer from the depths is that it acknowledges our need to the Lord. It acknowledges our need, that we are in need, that we are in need of help, and it does that by acknowledging it to the Lord. Um, Verse 1 of our text tells us that that Jonah prayed this prayer from inside the fish. But if if you listen to this prayer, a lot of what Jonah prays about here is him actually looking backwards to when he was still in the sea, before the fish swallowed him. Right After he was thrown overboard as he was in the waters. And in verse 3, he, he says this. He says, You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. So Jonah reflects on the helpless situation that he was in when he was in the water, in the sea. Right? As the waves of the storm swept over him, as, as the ocean currents tossed him around. And it's significant that as Jonah reflects on this, he says that it was God who hurled him into the deep. Now, you hurled me into the deep. When, when we know that you know, from chapter 1 that, that he actually asked the sailors to do that, that the sailors kind of th- hurled him into the water. But as we talked about last week, Jonah acknowledged that, that God had sent this storm because of him because he had run away from God. And so Jonah saw his being thrown to the sea, hurled into the sea as actually an act of of God doing this because it was part of God's fair judgment against his disobedience. Lord, you you hurl me into the sea because I I didn't deserve it, right? I, I was running away from you. You were working even through the sailors doing this, right? Hurling me into the sea. When, when Jonah asked the sailors to do that, he was submitting himself to God's judgment, acknowledging what he deserved. In, in verses 5 to 6, he, he goes on to say, The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. So as Jonah was sinking down under the water, he knew that he was in trouble. 
He was trapped. He was threatened. He was surrounded. And so back in in the very beginning of his prayer, in verse 2, he talks about this situation that he found himself in as, he says, in my distress and from the depths of the grave. Jonah knew that he was as good as dead in the water. From the depths of the grave, right? If, if, if the Lord didn't do something, he was gone. He was in his distress. He was in the depths of the grave. And he also knew that this was because of his sin. Because in verse 4, we read, I said, I have been banished from your sight. Jonah understood that he had no right to demand anything from God. He'd been running away from God. Now he's experiencing the consequences of that running. He was banished from God's sight, being hurled into the deep, sinking down to the grave. And yet in this place, as Jonah recognizes that he has no right (laughs) to expect God to do anything for him, right? He He has been running from God, yet in this place of extreme need and helplessness, what does he do? He cries out to God. He cries out to God. He offers a prayer from the depths of the sea. And so back in verse 2, he says, in my distress, what? What did he do? I called to the Lord. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. Jonah acknowledges his need. He acknowledges that he, he is ultimately in need. He is, he is in distress. But what does he do with that need? He brings it to the Lord. He brings it to God in prayer. And we are invited to do the same thing. When we feel that we are in the depths and in the midst of of suffering or experiencing, sometimes experiencing the consequences of our sin as we recognize that or, or just feeling overwhelmed in life, we are invited to acknowledge our need and to cry out to the Lord for help. But here's the thing. It's not always easy to do that. It's not always easy to acknowledge our need or that we're helpless, is it? There's, um, there's an internet meme, if you're familiar with that, that kind of these, these, these little memes that people kind of post and put different words on, that, that maybe some of you have seen, um, maybe some of you guys, it's part of a, a comic strip by this artist, Casey Green. I'm going to show you the, the, the picture here. Um, as you see, on the first slide, we have this cute little dog wearing a little hat, and he's got a cup of coffee on, on the table, but, but all around him, this room is on fire, right? There are flames all around him. And then in the next frame, he says, with a nice smile on his face, this is fine. This is fine. <laughs> As he's in the middle of, of these flames uh, all around him. And, and, uh, and, and people kind of use this meme to, uh, to refer to like situations that seem like, oh my goodness, this is, things are out of control, right? Things are going, the, 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 the room is on fire. And, and yet sort of like, okay, this is fine. We're okay, Right. Um, I think that, that, that there, there, something about this meme that's made it so popular is that it taps into something in us that, that we don't always want to acknowledge that things are not fine, that, that, that we don't want to acknowledge that we need help because we think that we can sort of handle things on our own. And so how often are we like this dog pretending that everything's fine when we're actually in trouble, when we're actually in need, when actually things are not fine? You know, I think sometimes as Christians, we, we think that we're supposed to be like this dog, that, that as things are, are going on around us, that we, we're just supposed to put on a smile and pretend that, you know, we're, we're just fine, everything's good, when actually we're really in pain, or we've experienced a deep loss, or we're, we're feeling overwhelmed, or, or maybe we're trapped in 
a sinful pattern of behavior that, that we can't get out of on our own. And, and we're just like, oh, I'm fine. I'm good. But actually, no, no, we, we desperately need help. We are, we're in desperate need of, of God's rescue. And often the way that we deal with this is we try to solve it ourselves. We think, I can handle it on my own. I can, I can, I can handle this situation. But what God is looking for from us is, is not for us to say, don't worry, God, this is fine. I've got it. I can handle it, God. You know, I, don't worry about me. No, he's looking for us to acknowledge our need to him, to cry out to him for help, to, to, to say, God, I don't know what to do here. I'm not fine. I need your help. I need your rescue. This is what Jonah does. Because here's the, here's the truth. The heart of the gospel is that we cannot save ourselves, that we cannot fix our problems, but actually we need Jesus to do that for us. We need him to save us. We need him to come to us, to rescue us. And I think there are times where God allows us to go through something that will actually bring us to the point where we have no other option but to cry out for help because we are just so overwhelmed, right? But this is actually God's mercy to us. As we've talked about before, it's God's mercy that he, he brings us to this point sometimes because he wants us to get to a place of saying, Lord, I've got to, I'm, I'm going to stop trying to fix myself and I'm going to turn to you and say, Lord, I need you. I need you to do something here. This is beyond myself. He wants us to turn to him in our need, not to try to handle things ourselves. And that's what happens to Jonah, that this, this storm, it wouldn't calm down until he was thrown into the sea. And then he sinks down into the deep, unable to save himself. And it led Jonah to finally acknowledge his need for God's help even though he didn't deserve that help, but he still calls out to him. So God, I'm not saying that I deserve this, but I'm calling to you for mercy, that you would help me even though I don't deserve it. Because he looks to him. And so again, as he says in verse two, in my distress, I called to the Lord. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. So prayer from the depths, it begins with acknowledging our need to the Lord. Acknowledging that we are in need and then bringing that need to him. Now, the next thing we see in Jonah's prayer is that prayer from the depths looks to God's costly mercy. It looks to God's mercy, but there's a particular way. It looks to God's costly mercy. Um, when, when Jonah cries out to the Lord for help, he directs his prayer in a very specific way. In verse four, he says, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet... I will look again toward your holy temple. See that? Jonah, he says that he looks to the temple. He looks to the temple in Jerusalem. And he says the same thing again in verse 7. He says, when my life ebbed away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. So Jonah is sinking into the depths of the sea, but he talks about looking to God's temple. Why is that? Well, in ancient Israel, God's temple represented a couple of different things. First, it represented God's presence with the people of Israel, that, that God chose to, to dwell in the midst of the people in this temple, in the Holy of Holies, in this place where he says, my presence is there. And so, so, as, so the, the temple, in many ways, was a way to, to, to say, as I'm looking to the temple, I'm looking to God. I'm looking to God's presence, right, in the temple. But there's also something very particular about the temple that we see because the temple was also the place 
where animal sacrifices were offered up to atone for the people's sins. And so the temple represented God's costly mercy, his costly mercy, mercy towards sinners who didn't deserve that mercy, which again, it was certainly Jonah. He was a sinner running away from God, didn't deserve God's mercy, but it was a, it's a costly mercy because it's a mercy that involved sacrifice. It's a mercy that, that costs something, all these animals being slaughtered in the, in the temple courtyard. Now, this, this idea of, of costly mercy and the language of sacrifice, I think in our culture, it's something that, that it's, it's kind of a hard concept for a lot of people in our culture to accept. It's something that I think that can sometimes be a stumbling block. And I want to just reflect on this for a moment. There's, there's a sermon I've been listening to, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, that, that uh, one of the pastors that I really, a bit, really influenced me, Pastor Tim Keller, who um, was a pastor in New York City when I was there, and, and he passed away um, you know, a little while ago. And, and I was listening to one of his old sermons, and, and as he was speaking in the sermon, he was talking about how um, our culture tends to deal with sin or wrongdoing in one of two different ways. On the one hand, sometimes we see this in our culture, there is a response of retaliation and condemnation. So if someone wrongs you, then you wrong them back, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to, you wrong me, I'm going to take it out on you, right? That, that's one response in our culture is, 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 and there are also certain sins in our society that if you commit that sin, you are condemned, you are canceled. There is no room for forgiveness. There is no room for mercy, right? That, that, that part of our culture's response to, to, to the reality of wrong to your sin is, is either you sin against me, I'm going to sin against you, I'm going to retaliate against you, or to say, you know, you are canceled, you're, there's no mercy. So this, in this approach, our sin is costly, right? It's costly because I might get retaliation against me, right? Or I might get canceled. But there's no mercy. There's no mercy there. Now, on the other side, the other kind of response in our culture to sin or wrongdoing is to simply ignore it or excuse it, or, or downplay it. You know, that with, with this response, when, when someone wrongs you, you might just say, ah, no worries, it's okay, not a big deal. You know, that, that can sometimes be our response, which is very different, if you notice, from saying, that was wrong, you sinned against me, but I'm going to forgive you, right? You see, hear the difference, right? Rather than saying, like, that's not a big deal, no worries, you know, everybody, everybody makes mistakes, right? It's a different kind of response that, that we see. Um, and there are also certain sins in our society that if you commit it, it's no big deal, right? It's basically ignored, even some sin that is celebrated in our culture, right? So there is, there is that, that reality where it looks like the response is, is mercy, where it kind of, oh, you know, letting it go. But actually, there is no cost. In fact, this approach doesn't seem to take sin seriously at all, right? So there's these two extremes. Either sin is, you know, it's, it's all about cost, it's condemnation, it's, it's conviction, it's retaliation, or it's sort of just... Washed under, uh, swept under the rug. It's no big deal, right? Um, where there, you know, it, it's not, it's not anything serious. And so, in, in his in his sermon, the sermon I was listening to, pa- um, Pastor Keller said that that both of these approaches actually lead to more evil and sin in the world. If you think about that, with the first approach, right, where 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 the response is retaliation, condemnation. Guess what happens? It leads to a cycle of retribution where things escalate and there's more anger there's more sin there's more retaliation the people who've been condemned are now looking for ways to condemn others so sin and evil increases right and with that second approach where sin is just downplayed excused right it's not a big deal what happens sin and evil just kind of runs rampant right where where, where there's no acknowledgement of 
of, of the real cost, the real harm of sin. Right? That, that sin actually will kill. Sin deserves death. It deserves, there is a cost, right? And this sort of says, ah, it's not a big deal. It, it leads to just sort of sin multiplying. And so here's the, here's the truth. Between these two extremes that we see in our culture, the gospel proclaims a different way. A way of costly mercy. Costly mercy. The Bible says that our sin is a big deal, right? It's not something that just we, we just... Sweep it, sweep it under the rug. No, no, no. We can't just ignore it. We can't just excuse it. In fact, our sin is so serious that it deserves condemnation. It deserves judgment. It deserves death itself. Sin is always costly. It is always costly. But the gospel proclaims that Jesus Christ has paid that cost for us. That he has taken that cost of sin upon himself, that he took the condemnation, he took the judgment that we deserve when he died on the cross. And therefore, because Jesus bore the cost, now we can receive mercy. We can receive not condemnation or retaliation, but we can receive forgiveness. And as sort of a side note, when we respond to sin or evil that's done to us in this way, in, in costly mercy, when, when we acknowledge that that was sin, it was, it was harmful to me, that hurt, right? This is, that was wrong, what you did, and yet I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to show you mercy. It breaks the cycle of retribution, but it also doesn't, doesn't ignore sin, right? It doesn't say it's no big deal. We name it for what it is. We forgive it because we have been forgiven. And so when Jonah, in this, in this prayer, when he looks to the temple... He is looking to the place where God showed costly mercy. Because Jonah knew that his sin, his running from God, it wasn't just no big deal, right? It wasn't just something to to ignore and sweep under the rug. He knew that it deserved death and condemnation. He knew that it deserved, he deserved to be banished from God's sight, as he says here in this prayer. But he also knew that God was merciful, He knew that God had provided a way for his sin to be paid for. It was in the Old Testament. It was at the temple where those sins were paid for through the sacrifice, the sacrificial system that God had set up. But we know now through the New Testament that all those sacrifices at the temple were pointing ahead to the final once and for all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so when we are in the depths, where do we look for help? We don't look to... The temple in, in, in Jerusalem, which is no more, but we look to Jesus, right? We look to where God showed his costly mercy for us on the cross, who loved us enough to pay for our sin in full. And so if you are feeling overwhelmed with your sin, that where, where you feel that you are just, you are, you're lost, you're trapped, you're, you're caught in, in that temptation that, that you just keep trying to get over, over and again. You're trying to, to get yourself out of it. You're trying to resist it, but, but you're failing over and over again. You keep snapping at that person in anger, no matter how hard you try not to. Or you keep failing to do the thing that, that you know God is calling you to do, but you just can't do it. If you're in that place, call out to the Lord for help and look to his costly Mercy, look to Jesus because he has paid for that sin in full. He has paid for it. And if you're going through a really difficult time, maybe you're feeling overwhelmed with grief or or sickness or anxiety or failure, look to God's costly mercy for you too. Look to God, to, to Jesus, because 
when we look to what he's done for us here, it, it reminds us that, you know what, he can also, if he, if he went that far for us, for, for our sin, right, to, to save sinners like us, he will also rescue us in other situations where we are in need, right? If he went that far for us, we can call out to him for help. We saw that in, in the scripture reading that, that Cindy read earlier from, from Matthew 14, where, where Peter, he, he steps out onto the water, right? He, he first, he has his eyes on Jesus, but then he, he begins to get overwhelmed with the wind and the waves, all, all the, the, the distress around him, right? He, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and, and what happens? He begins to sink into the water, but what does he do when he sinks? He cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. He once again turns to Jesus. He knows that that is his only hope. And what does Jesus do? He grabs, he reaches down, he grabs onto Peter and he saves him. He rescues him. He calls him to faith, to trust him, right? Because he's showing him that I will always save you, Peter. The same Jesus who loved us enough to die on the cross, will he leave us to drown in the midst of the world's troubles and storms? No. So call out to him for mercy. When Jonah cried out to the Lord from the depths, when he looked to the temple for God's mercy, how did God respond? Well, again, back in verse 2, we're kind of taking that, that verse really slowly. He says again, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and what happened? And he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. God provided for Jonah. He heard him. He heard him as he cried out from the depths, as he cried out and was sinking into the water. He sent that fish to swallow him, to save him from drowning. In verse 6, Jonah says, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. So Jonah praises God for rescuing me. You brought my life up from the pit as I was sinking down, O Lord. But here's the thing. Where is Jonah when he's praying this prayer? He's not on the shore. He's still in the belly of this fish, right? He has been saved from drowning, but he's not exactly in a great situation, right? He's still in the depths. He, he's just now inside of a fish in the depths of the sea. And so this leads to the, the, the third and final thing that I want to look at in Jonah's prayer. So Jonah's prayer it teaches us to acknowledge our need to the Lord, right? Call out to him for help to look to his, his costly mercy that we see, especially on the cross. And then prayer from the depths leads to anticipatory praise. Anticipatory. What is anticipatory praise? It is praise that anticipates what is coming. That it is praise even before we receive the fullness of what God is going to give us. Before we even receive maybe what we're praying for, that we praise God even as we're waiting on him. We praise in anticipation of what he's going to do. And that's what we see in Jonah's prayer. In, in verse 9, he says, But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. So Jonah says that he will sing a song of thanksgiving. And then, what does he say? I will offer a sacrifice to the Lord. He says that while he's still stuck in the fish, right? He trusts that, that just as the Lord has rescued him from drowning in the ocean, God is also going to rescue him from this fish. He believes that he will make it back to Jerusalem, 
back to the temple where he will be able to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving there at the temple. And so even now, while he's stuck in the fish, he proclaims this shout of praise, salvation comes from the Lord. Because he's already experienced that to some degree, right? As he's been rescued by the Lord. But he proclaims it even as he's also still waiting for him to be fully rescued, right? To be be brought out of this fishy situation. Um, He trusts that God's going to do it again. And so he praises God even while he waits for the fullness of that salvation. Question is for us, do we praise God even before we receive a complete answer to our prayers? Do our prayers from the depths also lead to anticipatory praise? Are we able to praise God even while we're waiting on his answer to the prayer that we are praying? Are we able to praise that he is the God who saves? He is the God who rescues even while we are waiting. You know, one example as I was thinking about this uh, that came to me this past week was was thinking about many of the African-American spirituals that slaves in the American South sang during slavery. That there's a lot of variety in, in the spirituals, but many of them express both sort of this longing for freedom, but also a confidence that freedom is coming. Um, you know, one of the most famous uh, African-American spirituals is the song Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Probably very familiar, right, that, that song. And, and, and that song speaks about this image of, of a chariot. It speaks to the, the story of the prophet Elijah, where, where this, this chariot of fire came down and took Elijah up to heaven directly, right? God took Elijah and, and brought him up. Swing low, sweet chariot. Um, coming for to carry me home. Um, and so there is this confidence in that song that God is going to do. He's going to swing low to carry the singer home carry us here ultimately to heaven, right? To God's presence. But, but also, if you, if you know anything about kind of the, the, the spirituals, that often they had double meanings too, that also kind of were pointing to a physical freedom from slavery as well. So we're trusting that God is going to, he's going to do this somehow, right? He's going to rescue us. And whether it's in this life or the next, he is going to bring us home. He's going to do it. He's going to, he's going to bring us freedom. And so even in the midst of this, this enormous evil of, of slavery, as, as the slaves called out to God for deliverance, they were calling out, right, calling out in, in need. They were also praising God in the midst of that, praising, anticipating his deliverance, whether in this life or in the next. You know, there are times where, where we are in the depths and we are waiting for God's rescue for weeks, for months, sometimes for years, depending on the situation and we often don't know how long we're going to have to wait, right? Jonah didn't know how long he was going to be in that, that fish. He was only there for three days, even though that must have been a long three days and three nights in that place. But sometimes we're waiting for a long period of time. So I know it's not always easy to praise God when you're in the depths, when you're waiting on God's rescue. But you know, that, that verse that, that we heard earlier in Romans 8 there's that passage where, where Paul talks about in moments where we don't even have the words to pray, that the Spirit intercedes for us with groaning sometimes beyond even what we can do, that, that the Lord actually sometimes prays for us, intercedes on our behalf 
in the midst as we're in the midst of the depths, as we groan out to the Lord. And so we can know that God is, he's the one who can also, he can give us the ability to, 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 to groan and to call to him and also even to praise him even while we're waiting. But here's the truth, brothers and sisters. Ultimately, we know that whatever suffering and pain and struggles in our lives that we're going through, that ultimately they are temporary. They will pass eventually. Even the ones that stay around with us until we die will ultimately pass away in the face of eternity. That one day we will have no more pain. We will have no more suffering. We will have no more waiting when we are brought into our Lord's presence. And so in many ways, I want you to think about this. Our lives are kind of like Jonah's time in the fish. Because those of us who have received Jesus' salvation, we have been rescued from death. Like that fish swallowed up Jonah, right? He was rescued from the death of, in the water, from judgment, from drowning in the waves. But where are we right now? We're in the fish. <laughs> we are in that place of, of waiting for the final salvation, the final redemption. We are waiting for the fulfillment of that rescue when Christ returns or when we pass through death into everlasting life. We're waiting to be spit out of the fish <laughs> into the, to the dry land. And so in the meantime, while we wait in the belly of the fish for that day, when, when the fish spits us up onto dry land, we may not know when that day will come, but we know it's coming because Jesus has promised he will return. He's promised that if we die in, in Christ, that we will be in his presence. We will be in his kingdom forever and ever. We will be free from all those things. And so in the meantime, we can both cry out to the Lord in our need. We can bring those needs to him while we're waiting. And also we can sing songs of anticipatory praise, even in the belly of the fish, knowing that God will ultimately bring about our rescue. He will do it one way or the other. And so we can rest in that. For we know that our ultimate rescue is assured because, as Jonah says, salvation comes from the Lord. If we trust in idols, he says, <laughs> we forfeit the grace that is ours, right? We look to other things, but when we trust in him and his salvation, we know that his grace is ours. His mercy is ours. Salvation comes from the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that in those moments where we are stuck in, in situations that we're, we're waiting to be released from, we're, we're, you know what those situations are for each of us, God. And we thank you that in the, those moments, Lord, that you, you actually want us to cry out to you. You're, you're not wanting us to try to solve them ourselves or, or say that it's, just, it's all fine, but, but to look to you, Lord, for rescue, look to you for our help. And so give us, Lord, the grace to, to do that, to call out to you, to call out to you for mercy, trusting that you're the God who hears us, who wants us to bring our needs to you. And that we, as we do that, Lord, that we can trust in your costly mercy and help us to praise you even as we wait, to praise you even as we're waiting on those answers, Lord, to praise you because we know ultimately you have won the victory, Jesus, and that ultimately you will bring us to that end of our salvation where we will be with you forever and ever in your presence, where there is no more suffering, no more pain, no more waiting. 
We look forward to that day even now as we are waiting and we sing to you because we know that salvation belongs to you, Lord. It comes from you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.